glad that you are all here today. I hope you're glad you're here. And uh, it's good to see Alberta Belke here with us. Is this the first time you've been here this year? What's up? We're, are, we're so glad that you are back with us. And uh, I couldn't help but notice that Greg and Allison are missing this morning. I'm, go figure, they're usually here. But uh, slackers. so slackers, yes. But I uh, wonder if I could get a show of hand of how many ministers are here today. Okay. This is a trick question. You should have known it. What, to be a minister is just to be a servant. In fact, that, that's the, the, uh, the Greek word diakonos can be translated either deacon or servant or minister. So how many servants do we have here today? Oh, that's much better. Yay. So in a sense, you're a minister. We, we tend to confuse that term. We mix it up, don't we? Because we think of a minister as someone who is a paid clergy. I, um, I get paid for being good, but you're good for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... But really, a minister is not just someone who's paid. I, I happen to have the blessing, the privilege, that you guys actually pay me to do this. But, but all of us are called to be servants, to be ministers. And, and that is uh, something that Paul is talking about here in Romans 15. So as you turn to Romans 15, let me tell you a story about a... It's an old story about a B-17 bombing run over a German city during World War II. The uh, German anti-aircraft flak hit the gas tanks of the bomber, but there was no explosion. The morning after the raid, the pilot went down to ask the crew chief for the shell that had hit the gas tank. He, he wanted to keep it as a souvenir. The crew chief indicated that there were 11 unexploded shells in the gas tank. The shells had been sent to the armorers to be diffused. Then intelligence had picked them up. The armorers had found that the shells contained no explosive charge. They were all empty, all but one. And it contained a rolled up note written in check. Finally, intelligence found someone on the base who could read Czech, and the translation of that little rolled-up note was, this is all we can do for now. So there were these uh, Czech prisoners who were compelled to work in Nazi munitions plant and, uh, for, for the German war effort. And they didn't have the opportunity to blow up the munitions plant or assassinate Hitler, but they did what they could. They simply didn't put charges in some of the shells. And that little note was just to indicate we're, we're doing what we can. It's all we can do for now. And you know, God doesn't call you or me to be the Apostle Paul. And... He calls me to be Gary Crandall and to fulfill the purpose he has for me. And he, he calls you for the purpose he has for you. To do what you can do. 
to faithfully serve Him. Romans 15, we're going to look at Paul's ministry and ours. We'll start at verse 14. Paul says to the Romans, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. This is the breadth of ministry. The, the breadth of ministry, meaning how, how broad it is. That it's not just paid clergy. It's not just a, an apostle. It's, it involves everyone in the church, every believer. That's the breadth of ministry. All of us are ministers. He, he tells them that uh, there are these three requirements really for being able to minister. The first is that you are believers. He says, my my brethren. He's talking to the, the believers there at the church in Rome. So the first thing needed for someone to, to serve the Lord acceptably, of course, is to be saved, to have a relationship with Him, to know that He is their Lord. Secondly, because of Christian character, He says that they are full of goodness. Their Christian character is evident. Someone to, who ministers for the Lord is, is, uh, does so with a, a godly character. And the third is to have biblical truth. He says that hereby, filled with all knowledge. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean all knowledge of the universe, that that person knows everything there is about mathematics or music or art or physics or whatever, but that this person knows what true knowledge is. And remind you of Colossians 2.3 that says that all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in Christ. So to get to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you have to go to Christ to get those. And so being full of knowledge, and Paul's way of stating this, means to be full of biblical truth, to know, uh, to know Christ, to know about Him, and to know what the Word says. So... If a person is saved and has Christian character and is full of biblical knowledge, then they are able to counsel or admonish one another. Now this, this word admonish uh, is taken from the Greek word nutheteo, which is where uh, the word nuthetic counseling comes in. If you've ever heard that term nuthetic, it's a, it's a kind of counseling that, that I do and Pastor Jeremy does and most often, though, we rather just call it biblical counseling. But the, that word nuthetic comes from this particular Greek word translated admonish here, nutheteo. And that has a wide range of meaning, that particular word, all the way from uh, warning someone, admonishing someone severely, to encouraging someone. And kind of in the, the center of that semantic range is the idea of instruction and counsel direction and that's the way we we normally understand it it is it's giving counsel to someone sometimes it could be counsel of warning don't go there don't do that or it could be encouraging keep on doing this but it's it's biblical counsel so how do you give biblical counsel by having a relationship 
with Christ by being a person of character and by being a person of the word. Then you are able to counsel one another. So all believers can and should be instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Anyone ever heard that phrase before? Some of you just went through that study of the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And if you haven't, I recommend you pick up a copy of that book. Uh, But one of the things that that book so clearly shows is that we all can and should be used by God to counsel others. If you have a relationship with Him, you can counsel others. You can share the gospel with others, and you can counsel other believers. So it's for all believers. Um, it's interesting, as the, the beginning of this week, as I started working on this passage, and of course I, this is the first verse of the passage, and the idea of, of all believers should be able to offer counsel to others, in that one morning I had three different people come to me asking me, how can I minister to so-and-so? This person has a need, and I, I sense that God would use me to talk to them. How, how can I talk to them? Three people in one morning, as I'm trying to study this verse, and they're interrupting me, <laughs> wanting to know, how can they do this? And I said, thank you, God. What a, what a proof of your working, and what an encouragement from the body that people are actually wanting to do this. So, I am glad at any time to help you know how, what you should say, what verses you might use, or so forth. But uh, you are able and you should be doing this. The breadth of ministry is all of us should be involved in, in offering the Word of God to others, whether that's the gospel to the unsaved or the, the Word of God in counsel to fellow believers. Then there's the boldness of ministry in verse 15, the boldness of ministry. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. So Paul said, "I've, I've written more boldly or very boldly to you on on some matters. Now, boldness doesn't mean brashness, it doesn't mean arrogance, but it means a a willingness to speak out the truth in love. I think that Paul is here saying that because of what he said in verse 14, that, look, these are already believers who have a relationship with, with Christ, they are full of goodness, they have good Christian character, they they know the word that it's not like he's telling them stuff that they don't know. And so someone might ask, well, what, what gives you the right to tell us? See, he, he knows that he is being rather bold to warn them and admonish them and instruct them in the things that he has. Um, in fact, he says that he does it as reminding you. So he is giving them the benefit of the doubt. They already know this stuff. But he's still speaking it boldly. We, we all need reminding, just as these Romans did. I, he says, um, I have written more boldly to you on some points as 
reminding you. We, we need reminding in our Christian lives, don't we? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1, verses 12 through 15. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. In other words, this is not the only time I'm going to tell you. I'm going to keep reminding you. I won't be negligent to... Uh, uh, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, this body, to, to steer you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter is saying, as long as I live, I'm going to keep reminding you. Even though you know these things, I'm going to keep reminding you. And then after I'm dead, I'm going to make sure you have a reminder. We all, we all need reminder, reminding of these, the, what the Word says. We, we tend to forget these precious truths. We can get so occupied in what's going on in our own lives and the present concerns of, of life that we, we forget things that we have known before and we need to be reminded. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It might seem like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but it's safe for you. It's, it's better for us to be over-informed than under-informed. It's better for us to be reminded than to perhaps forget these sacred truths and, and veer off the road of righteousness. So there's this, this boldness of ministry in reminding people, even though they've heard it before, they, they, they've known it, it still, it still thrills me to hear the gospel. I, I've heard it before. Have you ever heard the gospel? Yeah, I've heard it before. But there's still something about it. I mean, I... Uh, treasured the gospel message. And I love to hear it spoken. Um, and we need that reminder of, of all that it means. Not only do we need that reminder, but um, as Paul is saying back here in Romans 15, verse 15, we need boldness. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points 
as reminding you. We, we need the reminding, but we also need boldness because we tend to think, well, you know, surely John already knows this. I don't need to tell John that. And so we, are, we hold back. But we need to be willing to be bold to say, John, remember how the Word says this. To be bold enough to speak the Word, the truth, and love to one another. And so Paul is saying, yes, I, I know you guys know all this. But I was bold to, to do this, to remind you of these things. The, the third point of ministry here is the source of ministry. Verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Why is Paul doing this? It's because of the grace that he has received to become a child of God and the grace that he has received to become a servant of God, to, to serve the Lord, to be able to write these words as, as God himself was leading Paul to the very words he would write and also the ministry that he had. All of that, the source of his ministry was the grace. It's all because of grace all the time. In the next book, 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. Paul, who was far from being arrogant, said, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So, you know, as, as we look at our lives, we might think, who am I to, to go to someone else in the church or in my community or even in my family and, and speak the word of God to them? Who am I? I mean, they know me. They know that I did this and that. And what Paul is saying, they know me. They know, they know that I persecuted the church of God, consenting to the death of some. They know that. Who am I? I'm the least of the apostles. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are not what you once were. You are what you are now, by the grace of God. And it's because of His grace, that is the source of your being able to minister. And he says... He talks about how much he labored, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so he's even saying it wasn't my effort, it was the grace of God working in me and through me that enabled me to minister to others. How are you going to be able to minister to others? It's only by the grace of God that any of us can. Okay, back to Romans 15. 
Number three was the source of ministry. Number four is the sphere of ministry. Verse 16. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he says, first of all, that that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The sphere of his ministry, where God had particularly sent Paul, was to the Gentiles. Was that his first choice? Was that where Paul's heart was? No, we've already seen in Romans 9, at the beginning of Romans 9 and the beginning of Romans 11, that Paul said, I could wish myself were cursed for my brethren according to the flesh, the Israelites. He had such a heart for fellow Israelites, fellow Jews. That's where he wanted to go. That's where his heart was. But God had called him to a different sphere of ministry. Go to the Gentiles. By the way, just a, a word of caution here. Don't, you don't always follow your heart, right? You know the hallmark, just follow your heart. No, you follow the word, right? You follow God. Your heart can lead you astray. If Paul had simply followed his heart, he would have gone only to Israel. But God had something else for him. And he was obedient to the call of God to the Gentiles. So what is your sphere of ministry? Your sphere of influence? Where has God placed you? You think about your work environment or your school environment. People around you who are who you have uh, some influence in their lives, some connection with them, your, your family, your community, whatever it is, people that you have a connection with. Uh, maybe you're in a club with them or whatever, but that is the sphere of ministry that God has given you. And how would He use you in that sphere of ministry? The message of ministry is also in verse 16 that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. The message of ministry is the gospel. That's primarily what we have to share, the gospel. Ministering the gospel of God. It says this also in verse 19 and 20. I'm talking about his... his, um, Missionary ministry says in in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to uh, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. And so Paul's consistent message was the gospel. He he taught other things. He taught about marriage relationships. He taught about the end times. But all those can be subsumed under the gospel. See, there's a, a specific reference to the gospel and a more general reference. And the, the specific gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As uh, 1 Corinthians 15 begins, this is the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and he was crucified he died he was buried and he rose again the third day that's 
That's the message of the gospel, the good news, by which if a person believes in that, trusts in the Lord and Savior of that, they are saved. But also, the gospel is more general. It really concerns all of Revelation, all 66 books of this Bible. When you begin asking questions about the gospel, like, why did Christ have to die for sinners? Well, then you get into the story of, of what the Bible says about man. The whole story of redemption from the Garden of Eden all the way to its culmination and at the end of Revelation. All of it has to do with God's redemption of man, His, his ultimate plan. So the gospel is specifically that message of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, but generally it is all of, of Revelation concerns that, that event. So the, the specific message of the gospel is, relates to how can we have life? How can we be made alive spiritually? The general message of the gospel is how do we live spiritually? Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so the message is the gospel. It's not just the, the gospel message by itself, but living the gospel message. In fact, Paul talks about elsewhere obedience to the gospel. Uh, even here in verse 18, he brings that out. For I will dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Not just that they would assent to a set of propositions, Christ died and rose again, but that they would be obedient to the gospel. The, the gospel calls not just for an act of faith, but an act of obedience to him. Not just believing, but how we live, putting it into action. Now, let's say that my dear wife, Sherry, had the world's best brownie recipe. And she read through the recipe, yes, this all looks good. I think that would make a great dish of brownies. And I even have these ingredients. That's wonderful. It means nothing to me unless she makes it. Right? It's got to be put in the oven, baked, ready for Gary then it's meaningful. The same is true with the, the gospel message. We can say, yeah, it, this is great that God would love people this much that he would send his son to die for them. Wow, I, I believe that. That's great. But if you don't live it, then you haven't really believed it. You're not obedient to the gospel. And you have to ask yourself then, if I'm, if I'm not being obedient to the gospel, have I really understood what it's about? Paul says he's ministering 
the gospel, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. The word translated ministering here is, is unusual for the New Testament. In fact, this particular verb form here is the only time it's found in the New Testament, uh, ministering. But it's a common word found in the Old Testament. It has to do with priestly service, offering up priestly service. <clears throat> was used of the Levitical priest who assisted the high priest with the sacrifice. <clears throat> As they assisted the high priest with the, with the sacrifice, that was called a priestly service. It's the exact word that Paul uses here, and I think on purpose, because Christ is the high priest. And we are simply pointing to that sacrifice. We, we want people to understand the importance of the sacrifice, bring them to the sacrifice. We are, we are serving Him, the high priest, in these things. So ministering the message of the gospel. Number six, the goal of ministry is also in verse 16. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. The word, the, the that there is a, uh, clues us in that this is a purpose statement, so that this might happen. Here, here's my purpose or my goal of ministry, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. And he purposely here uses the word offering because it goes along with priestly service and the, the sacrifice offering so that the, the offering might be acceptable. It is the offering of the Gentiles. And the, uh, the genitive phrase here of the Gentiles means the offering which consists of the Gentiles. It's, it's not the offering the Gentiles give. It's the offering of the Gentiles themselves. The offering which consists of the Gentiles. So it's like Paul is seeing it this way. I'm, I'm ministering the word of God, the, the gospel, so that as the Gentiles are offered up to God, they would be acceptable to him. Offering up the Gentiles. That they might be acceptable in other words, that God would be well pleased with this offering. Well, how is God going to be well pleased? And how, how can we know that, whether he's going to be well pleased or not? Well, that leads to the next point, number seven. That is the guarantee of ministry. We can't make them acceptable. We can, that can be the goal, that they would be acceptable, but the guarantee is beyond us. Again, verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering which consists of the Gentiles might be acceptable, and here's the guarantee, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee. He's the one who really brings it about. We can share the gospel with someone else, but it's the Holy Spirit who really has to work in their life, right? I mean, we, we can't get inside someone's heart and fine-tune it. We'd like to, but we can't. Same thing even with another believer. If you're sharing the word of God with another believer in a, 
in giving counsel to them. You can't make them understand, accept it, or have a change of life. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. But it's, it's our part to be faithful in trying to minister the Word. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the Word. The week before we left Guam, some poachers decided to set fire of the, the mountain behind us. Not really a mountain, it's about 500 feet high. But our son's backyard, where it ends, is where the, that hill starts. So someone set fire to the far side of it. We could, we could hear it. We could see the smoke rising. And we just stood there watching. And then the flames came to the top of the hill, 500 feet up. Flames shooting up like 20 or 30 feet high, just consuming everything, roaring fire. And here it comes down the side of the mountain, the hill, towards his backyard and the backyard of a number of neighbors along. And the... Um, the Guamanian Fire Department finally shows up. And they decide, maybe we ought to do something about this. So they unroll their hose and go back. It's like 100 yards to where the, the fire is coming down. And they hook it up to this fire hydrant, turn it on. No water. No water. Nice, pretty yellow fire hydrant. No water. Turn it on. Nothing. Remember last week I was, I was talking about the illustration of the faucet. Kind of a, to extend that illustration a little bit. We are, we're like the faucet. But think of Christ as being the living water who flows through us. But it takes the power of the Spirit. He is the water pressure that causes the flow through us. We can't do it on our own. It's like if you, if you went to Home Depot and just picked out a water faucet off the shelf and turned it on, this thing doesn't work. So you take it back for a refund. No, it has to be connected to a water supply, doesn't it? There has to be some water pressure behind it. And, and so it is with us ministering. We, we need the, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to work through his word. And finally, the, the glory of ministry. Verses 17 through 19. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. I have, I have reason to glory, but my glorying is not in me. The glorying is in Christ Jesus. And it's only in the things which pertain to God. Verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. In other words, I'm, I'm not even going to bring up, I, I won't dare to talk about anything that I've done on my own. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about any of those things that Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. I, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about anything except for what Christ has done. A glory, the glory in the ministry all belongs to Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote later to the Galatians, God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And glory has been a constant theme of this chapter so far. We saw at the end of the first section that we looked at, verse 6, um, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of the next section, verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And now this section also reminds us that it's, it's for the glory of God that we do all these things. Well, how do we glorify God? Let me close just with uh, five quick things here of how we can glorify God. Ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing a song when we're done with this. First of all, by doing God's will, we bring glory to God. By doing His will. John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Doing God's will, obeying Him, brings glory to God. Secondly, by submitting our actions and decisions to God, that glorifies Him. So we saw last week, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you decide to do, whatever it is, do all to the glory of God. So by submitting your, your decisions, your actions to God. Third, by abiding in Christ, godly character bears spiritual fruit to the glory of God. That's John 15.8 as Jesus talks about abiding in the vine, and he says, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So if you abide in Him, abiding in Christ. Number four, uh, by daily godly living. As Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So just by daily living for God, and the fifth, by openly proclaiming His praise. Psalm 96, all of Psalm 96, take time later on to look at that, but the idea is of just openly, before everyone you can, proclaiming how great God is. Our God reigns. Remind people of that. Well, in order for us to be able to do any of this, we ourselves need to be submitted to Christ. And our, our final song echoes that sentiment to us. Before we sing, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, let's, let's bow in prayer. Lord, we want to be ministers of yours, servants, which you can use, vessels in your hands. And we recognize, God, that, that we need your grace and we need the power of your Holy Spirit working within us as we seek to faithfully minister your word. We pray, God, that, that you would give us the boldness that we need to speak your truth, that you might be willing to use us, even us cracked vessels, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.